I'm Karen Lewis, and thank you for listening to Recovery Bites, real talk with recovered professionals. This podcast is about life in recovery from an eating disorder, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges. Episodes will include stories from fully recovered professionals about the sometimes sad, sometimes painful, but always beautiful accounts from their recovery. Not their whole story, just bites. Hello, everyone. I am really, really excited about this next episode. We are going to be talking with Michelle Gardiner, who is such a beautiful soul. As you can hear, I feel like in every introduction, I say, this person's a beautiful soul. This person's a beautiful soul. By the way, being recovered means being human, and being human is a really, really beautiful thing. Michelle talks about part of her practice, which is ecotherapy, and is really interesting. And I'm really excited for everybody to hear all about it. Basically, the bottom line is it is about being present in the moment. When people are struggling with eating disorders, they are stuck ruminating about the past. They are obsessing about the future. They are trying to predict future events, conversations, meetings. This is about when we are present and in the moment, we cannot get stuck in that loop of negative thinking. It's really beautiful. I'm really excited. All right, everyone, let's get ready. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites, Real Talk with Recovered Professionals. I'm Karen Lewis, and I will be your host for today and actually all episodes. I don't know why I say just today. We are joined with Michelle Gardiner, who is the founder of Elemental Psychotherapy and Support services in British Columbia, Canada. And first, I just want to say hello to Michelle. Hello. So, so happy to have you. I am so excited for our guest right now because you all are in for a treat. Michelle and I just did a grounding, uh, a grounding episode. No, no, no. What? Well, grounding. We did a grounding exercise. Yeah exercise. My goodness, it got me so calm. I couldn't even think of my words. But really, Michelle, I'm excited to have you because I felt my entire nervous system just drop into calmness as we did this before you and I started the episode. So welcome, Michelle. Thank you. So as I said, so glad to have you. Michelle, Tell us a little bit about who you are and the work that you do, because it obviously is powerful. 
thank you. I'm. It's such a privilege to be here with you. I'm so excited. I'm a little bit nervous. Can feel those butterflies. Um, and uh, so I am. I'm in Canada. I know most of your 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 guests so far have been from the U.S. and some in- incredible people to share space with. And uh, so I'm from an area called British Columbia in Canada. And I live in the Okanagan, which is uh, Canada's only desert. It's a beautiful space with a lot of viticulture and a lot to do in the outdoors. Uh, I am uh, in private practice and I'm a Canadian certified counselor and psychotherapist. And I've been in private practice now for about uh, five years, uh, working with eating disorders, addictions, and trauma. So I would love, before we get into your process and things like that, you and I were talking a few minutes for a few minutes before we started the interview, and you have something that you work with, and I'm not sure if I'm getting it correctly. Is it called ecotherapy or nature therapy? And I would love to talk about that first so listeners understand it, because I think it's a really, really powerful grounding technique to use with clients who are typically not grounded, don't feel the earth, don't feel the, you know, the earth under their feet, things like that. So can you talk a little bit about that first? Of course, yes. So ecotherapy, first, I'm a nature lover. Uh, I think a lot of my own recovery and healing was around being in nature and what that offered me and all those things that you just talked about, right? Reconnecting with your body, kind of getting out of your head and back into knowing yourself in in different ways in a more holistic way. And so ecotherapy, what I do is I either invite clients um, to find ways to go out and be in nature, whether, you know, that's sitting by a window and listening to the birds uh, and smelling the fresh air, kind of that bringing in those five senses, um, or if it's, you know, hanging out in your backyard or getting into a park or going for a hike or paddle. So it's really just finding different experiences, no matter where you live, and finding ways to connect with nature. Um, This can be great ways to start with this can be through mindful meditation or walking meditation. Uh, So when we were talking, we talked a little bit about the idea of people going out and feeling the grass under their feet, right? So kind of bringing in that experience of just being and noticing what's happening uh, with your body and the environment, the space around you when you're out in nature. Uh, It can be a wonderful way for, as you were saying, grounding Uh, it can be a really great way to just get connected with self. So kind of getting out of the, out of that headspace, that busy headspace and just being. It feels like for me, and I'm going to use this moment as the example. And this is what I often say to clients is this does not take away the stress of life. This reduces it so it allows you to have a different relationship to it. And the example that I'm using just now is 
I didn't even realize, and part of this is good, I get a lot of adrenaline right before I start doing a podcast. And by the way, adrenaline is good. But what I'm not aware of is all the other noise that I bring in before I sit down and get ready for the podcast. And as you and I went through that talking meditation, it didn't take away the stressors that I'm going to have when I walk out of this interview and go back to my you know regular routine of the day. But it has allowed my energy, my again, my neurosystem to quiet down a little bit. So stressors are still there, which is part of life as a recovered person, but my relationship to it has changed. So now I don't want to ignore it and say, oh, I just need to do an eating disorder behavior to pretend it's not happening because it's happening but I'm in a calmer space now. And I don't know if you have anything to say to that. Yeah, that makes me think about, you know, those stressors are always going to be there. But when we can do things that allow our bodies to, um, to regulate or to create this space of resilience, uh, even just to create space so that we have time to recognize, okay, yes, I'm going back out into the world. I'm going to be exposed to these stressors, um, whether you're cognizant of that or not. Uh, but knowing that you have done something that gives you a little bit of space to be in that that experience of awareness and to be able to make a choice about how to take care of yourself. Like you were saying, like, rather than going to those, those eating disorder behaviors to cope, to go to other coping skills. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And this is what I often say to clients is you use the word space, giving yourself space, which by the way, is much more beautiful than what I say, which is, can we interrupt the process, which now I'm hearing sounds a little edgy. I I like your version better. But when we interrupt the process before uh, somebody reacts into a behavior, it allows you to stop as I said, reduce the energy. And then as you use the word choice, then it gives you time to think, what what are my choices? Are my choices to go binge and purge? Are my choices to take a step back and understand where the anxiety is coming from? So that's part of it, as opposed to impulsively, this is where people say, sometimes I don't even recognize when I'm about to do a behavior. It just happens. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. You think it does, but there is a tiny little second in between that if you can take advantage of that second, stop using your words, give it space, using my words, interrupting the process, the impulsivity decreases and our options open. Yeah. And doesn't that feel or sound more empowering? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Did you use this sort of the nature therapy, the meditation, the mindfulness um, for your own recovery process? Is that no, you found it after? Do tell. So I've always been a person who loved nature. Since I was a little girl, I spent a lot of time in nature with my dad. 
And so that was a gift that when I started going through my own recovery process, I was able to tap into, right? So I, you know, in my process, I, I had to, for my own health and well-being, make some commitments about how I was going to use exercise. And so I started searching and you, I mean, I was desperate to find something else. Right. And so fortunately I had this beautiful piece in my path that I was able to go back and, and get. And so I started hiking and where I couldn't go for runs, I would just go and walk trails. And there's, there's memories about that that are really powerful for me, like walking on the bark mulch of a trail in the heat, that, that smell, uh, this, the sounds, the sounds of the bark mulch under your feet. So all very kind of a meditative experience, but I wouldn't have known that's what it was. Um, it wasn't until, it wasn't until I was working as a therapist So it would have been, you know, 10 years later around that, where I was introduced to yoga and meditation. I'm not great at yoga, but meditation is something that I find really powerful. And I started with that recognition of, oh my gosh, I've been doing walking meditation. We're like, not, you know, so this intuitive piece Um, when we're able to kind of connect with our needs and what our body is telling us. And so it was so exciting to discover, oh, I've been been doing this really cool thing for 10 years and I feel so good because of it. What would that be like to add now to learn more about that? I think what comes up for me as you're saying all of this is what what it allows or empowers the client to do is for a short period of time, feel what it's like to be in their body, in their minds, their hearts, their souls, without the external noise, without the external stimulus. And again, not denying that it's out there, but how do you feel different when you shut that off. Now, how do we get you to live in a world that has a lot of external stimulus, a lot of outside noise? So you can, you're not in the, always in the adrenaline mode, but you're also, we cannot live in a meditative state 24 seven. So how do you bring that together? And that is sort of where the recovery process is asking clients to slow down. Yes. That is pivotal, right? Slowing down. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's just for little moments across the day. Yeah. What what was a behavior for you that was the most difficult to let go? Because by the way, this all sounds beautiful and wonderful as you're sitting here now fully recovered. I'm recovered, fully recovered. And I'm like, meditate, close your eyes, breathe in the air. And some people are like, are you kidding me? So let's bring it back to a place of, what what was difficult and how did you how did you get there? Oh, I think recovery is um it, it sounds so cliche, but like a journey, right? So there's and what I mean is that there's for me, there's been all these different milestones across my 
my recovery, um, like getting too recovered. Uh, and so I, can, I, I think the biggest part for me was um, as exciting as recovery was around things like discovering, rediscovering food, rediscovering the flavor of like real food, you know, not bland, white, um, these kind of things with no taste. And uh, I think that the, the biggest thing for me was body image. And I recognize that is a hard part for so many people. And it really took a long time. And I think there were things, so when I went through my recovery process, body image was touched on, but back then there wasn't a lot of, I don't think we really knew the role that it was playing or maybe even how to interpret those thoughts of, I feel fat, or I feel, you know, I feel like it just grew in my body or, and, and so what I found was that over time, um, that was kind of the one piece that was difficult to, I don't know, keep an eye on or have awareness around. So I found that I was doing things that were not healthy, that were that were kind of keeping me trapped in certain behaviors. Uh, and then I read a book one time. I think it was probably about 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. I read a book and it talked about body checking. And I was like, body checking? I have never heard of this before wow. And as I started reading, I was like, oh, I do that. I do that. Oh, I did that. I, I was so shocked. And having that knowledge was probably, that was it for me. That was the last piece uh, for me to be fully recovered, um, to be able to know that, okay, can't do that stuff anymore. I do not, the last thing I want is to ever go backwards. And this is holding me. This has me in a holding pattern. And so I was able to use that information. Uh, and so, you know, none of this, right? So, and what an experience to be able to, you know, get ready in the morning um, or to get ready for an event or go out and live life and not be distracted by these behaviors. You know, there's a few things that I want to say. First of all, I think it's interesting that you may have read or heard about body checking prior to that moment, but you were ready at that moment. There were messages that I were I was given. I can't even tell you for how long. And then all of a sudden, one day I'd be like, how come nobody told me this before? And people would be like, we've been telling you this for a long time. So, and by the way, I also want to point out, I typically would start hearing these messages as I was feeding myself properly. As I was taking care of myself, the messages that I had been getting for quite some time were starting to internalize. Prior to that, they were just like, they were like, you know, talk about meditating, like on a cloud just floating by. I didn't see them. I saw them, didn't really pay attention. The other thing is, and this may be a little controversial, but I, I, I think just the whole idea of body image is a little 
warped. And I might get a lot of flack for this. So I'm going to take a deep breath before I say this. I think that there's often a lot of talk in our field that quote unquote body image is the last to go. I think that that might be setting clients up for the idea that unless they fully love their body, they have not fully recovered. And I think body image, you can have different feelings about, I can have different feelings about my body throughout the day. Body image is not always a negative. It's about the reality and my level of acceptance. There are days when I look in the mirror, and I've said this before on a podcast where I'm like, "Eh, I don't, what? That is not the body I went to bed in last night. That doesn't mean because of a day that my body image is not spectacular that I am sliding back. That means that I'm like having one of those days, put my clothes on, eat my breakfast and walk out the door. I also think again, we have like, I've had clients sit on my couch and say, I can't ever imagine loving my body. You know something? Love is a really strong word. I I love my family. I love partners. I love things that I do. Love is a really, and and love is a word reserved for love. And again, this may be very controversial and I might be getting a lot of frowny faces right now, but I don't think you need to love your body to say I'm fully recovered. Thank you for saying that. And I think that... um, it's, it, it is so individual and it's, it's for some people, uh, it is really hard depending on where you're coming from, what your experiences are in relating to your body. Um, love can be a lot to ask, too much to ask. Uh, so finding that place even of neutrality or more about acceptance, okay? And, and when you say that, I, I can... You know, I have those times as well where it's more about, oh, I don't just like, I'm not in love with my body, but okay, this is my body. Um, I think uh, that's very true too. Of, um, I'm, if I can take one second here, my I have a puppy in the room with me and he's... This seems to be a theme. Keep going. I'll keep talking because... You are now this the second guest that I have had that we've had to work through a, a dog or a puppy just sort of wanting a little bit of love while you're doing a podcast. So I've already been through this. The listeners have heard this before. It happened with Carolyn Costin. So no worries. Come and meet Karen. Come and <laughs> come, come meet Karen. So all of you do not know, cannot see this, but I'm looking at this beautiful, beautiful puppy that Michelle has. And this is Ash. Ash wants a little bit of love. So it's okay. It's okay. We all do. And he has a, he has a crate, you know, where he gets to hang out and chill. Um, but that's with dad right now. Um, and so. Uh, so he's part of the podcast. I welcome Ash. I really do. I do want to go back 
about I, I can sort of I can I can rein it back in. I've been running groups for a long time. I know how to bring it back in. The other thing I will want to say, and I apologize, and, and I, I don't think I've I've felt this passionate about it for you know quite some time, but maybe it was the meditation that like gave me the space, the meditation before this podcast. Um I think that again I I I think when we talk about loving our body, there are times when I love the way my body feels. And that's what I want clients to understand. I love the way my body feels when it's like just waking up in the morning and it's not hasn't not waking up from an alarm and I can feel my body in the bed. I love the way my body feels the first time I step out and a strong ray of sun just heats my body up. So it's not about the image of the body. I want it to be about the feeling. And I also want to say, at the risk of sounding really conceited, there are times when I look in the mirror and I fucking love my body. Are you kidding me? I'm like, Fabulous. This is gorgeous. Who wouldn't want this? To, I'm sorry. That was a little too much. I went a little. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that interesting? When people, when people embrace themselves and their bodies and they, they are, they, they have that passion, uh, women tend to step back. It's a beautiful thing. And we have this, it's like, we're not permitted to be there. Yeah. I, and I was going to say too, that but depending on your age, I find too that, um, and not just about age, it's about mindset and capacity and all of these things. It's it's more complex than, than just something simple as body image, right? Yeah. But I notice for myself that as my body is changing and aging, there are times where I'm like, oh, where'd that come from? And then there's other times where I'm like, oh, yeah, like this is the body that takes me in the world. It lets me paddle a kayak across the lake. It allows me to, you know, there's so many things that I can do with this body. And I love what you're saying because being able to come back and connect with what our bodies can do, you know, how we live in these amazing vessels, these, you know, it's, it's, we don't, we get kind of carried away. We don't always think about those things, of course. Yeah. And, and there goes back to that slowing, being able to slow down. And in those moments, you know, if we're out doing some ecotherapy and we're feeling our feet on the ground, what a great, great way to kind of connect with, wow, all, all the miles that my feet have taken me. You just said, brought it back to like the ecotherapy. And I was like, oh, I forgot we're talking about therapy. I was just talking about sometimes I love my body. So anyway, thank you for bringing me back into the conversation. So, you know, and that's also another interesting topic that I didn't plan on going towards, but women and men, bodies aging, bodies changing. And, you know, what is it like to age in our society? So the process of staying mindful and the process of always evolving or the process of taking care of yourself always evolves, meaning 
you know, somebody said to me, like, you know, one of my clients this morning said, I have so many things to work on. You know, I, I'm going to be working on myself for the rest of my life. And I'm like, I hope so, because that's how we stay connected and grounded. We're always changing. And I don't ever want to stop working on the way I see things, the way I feel things. That's life. Otherwise, we're stunted. Yes. And what a great way to look at that process of development, right? Continuing development across our, our, our experience of life or lifespan. And that's very different from what we sometimes hear in, okay, well, I'm going to be aging, uh, so not I need to keep doing or I want to keep embracing this work and growing in different ways, but I need to get in the gym and I need to, you know, getting older, I better watch what I eat. And, you know, maybe I should get some something done to take these wonderful wrinkles away, right? This is like my whole expression of life right here. And so what a wonderful thing to counter that kind of thinking to go back and remind ourselves that there's different ways of growing and developing through life and ways of being with our bodies and doesn't necessarily have to be that continued cycle of diet exercise trying to fit this kind of North American or westernized mold of 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 appearance yeah yeah it also makes me think about clients. I have a lot of older clients that are, are struggling with eating disorders. And let me ask you, do you feel that it's possible for everyone, regardless of how long, regardless of intensity, do you feel everybody can recover? Yes. I think it's different for different people. You were talking before about um, readiness, so maybe how I, you know, I miss those signs um, or how I finally saw the signs in that space of readiness around body checking or, you know, how that readiness is so important. So everybody can get there at a different time. So I think that everybody, I fully believe everyone can recover. Um, I've I don't know if it's, um, I sometimes kind of question this thought, but often it's if, if if I can do that, you can do that, right? You, you have, I believe everyone has the capacity to do that and um, to create a different life. Um, but I think that it's going to look different for each person uh, as far as the length of time and, you know, how they get there is going to be unique to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it looks different for everybody because everybody's, first of all, experiences are different. Their accessibility or limited accessibility to treatment support, uh, you know, socioeconomic things like that are different. And so, yeah. And I think that's also important. Everybody's process is different. I will say to a client, I have had an eating disorder, so I know what your experience is like with an eating disorder. I don't know your absolute unique experience, though. I don't know what your unique feelings are, emotions, how it played out, what manifested it. I have a general idea, but everybody is unique, which means 
everybody has a unique process to recover. Do you ever get triggered when you're working with clients with eating disorders? No, I'm, I feel fortunate that that has not happened. Um, so, and before working in private practice, I, I was in, I've been uh, counseling for 15 years now, and I've never been triggered for my eating disorder behaviors. Um, and I was talking to my husband actually the other night, and he was saying, if anything happens, when I'm working in a certain experience that's really challenging or, or um, yeah, I guess just an experience that's challenging, he notices that I will go back and, and make sure that I'm, so this would have been earlier on, that I was always um, making sure that I, I was um, doing the things to keep me strong, engaging in self-care. And so, yeah, I, I, I wonder... Um, you know, in Canada, there's, um, uh, we don't talk a lot about recovered therapists, but kind of recovery around any experience. So if you're going to be an addiction counselor, it's usually like two years. They want you to have two years of solid treatment and using your recovery skills under your belt before you're going and working with other people. So know thyself. And, and, and so I, I do think there's something to say about that uh, in being able to go through your process uh, to be able to get well before you are um, working with others through that recovery. Yeah. There was something I was just going to say and listeners, give me a minute. This happens to me occasionally. I lose my train of thought and then I'm able to come back. Uh, You were talking about, you know what? We're going to have to come back to it. I will remember though. So have no fear. We will get back to this. So you were saying like your husband notices what you do when I'm I'm paraphrasing, but like when stressors arise. So how do you cope with underlying issues now? Because the underlying issues may never go away. It's how it's the relationship that we have to them. Yeah. So I think earlier on, um, maybe 10 years ago, one of my experiences would be that I had, uh, I I like rules. Um, One of the rules for myself was if there's ever a time when stress presents or I am feeling triggered in some way, maybe not from working, but it could be another experience in life. Maybe I've watched a show about something and, but um, I eat no matter what. If I notice that desire within me to restrict, I do the opposite and I, and I nourish my body. That is, has always been that kind of mechanical, that thought around mechanical eating. No matter what, my, my, my body is, is nourished. Yeah. Just to let you all know, I did remember what I was going to ask. See, I told you, I knew it was going to happen. I I know thyself. So I want to ask you to, to clarify, did you say that in Canada that people do not disclose if they're recovered eating disorder therapist? Is that is that what I heard you say? Or And if so, wow, you just really outed yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> There is a mindset um, it, that um, 
it's not, we don't talk about it as therapists. It's not, this is so, it's so odd to me. Being recovered takes a lot of work. It's very hard. It's an incredible accomplishment. It's a wonderful thing to celebrate in life, right? Mm -hmm. It is strengthening. Wow. Do you find out who you are through recovery or what? Right? If you can do that, right? I am doing a bicep curl. And so in Canada, it's very interesting to me. Uh, because I'm affiliated with a number of American um, uh, eating disorder organizations like IADAP and uh, um, Academy of Eating Disorders. And, and so um, that the notion that we don't talk about it here and that it's almost shameful to talk about it. Uh, it's very hidden. Um, it's People just want to look the other way if it comes up. Uh, and one of the things that I had happened about two years ago is uh, I had somebody, uh, another therapist in BC, who was just kind of getting started, interested in eating disorders, had seen my website and read the just that little piece about being recovered. They phoned me and said, wow, like, what a, why would you put that on your website? Like, don't you think that's a bit, you know, risky? If not, why would you tell people that? And so we had a conversation around that, uh, which I'm thankful for. Um, I don't know where that person took that. Uh, That's their experience. But about a month later, I was on Facebook and I saw Carolyn Costin's Recovered Therapists. And oh my gosh, I, the, the sense of belonging, the sense of being allowed to, allowed to celebrate. It was like I had permission to celebrate my accomplishment. And, and even though, you know, I do that, but in a, in a louder way. And that there were, I, I, one day, I remember looking specifically that the number of, of individuals on the site, the followers, I was like, holy cow, look at all those recovered therapists. Yeah. <laughs> this is amazing. It was amazing to me. It was, it was so enriching and empowering and, and, and I felt um, in seeing that. In connecting with that page, it makes me feel really emotional. I felt shame, like whatever that residual shame was, and this fear of, oh, should I put that on my website? Should, should I be talking? Maybe I shouldn't talk about that. When I, when, you know, when I engage with these committees, oh, maybe I shouldn't. All of a sudden, I felt like, wow, the door is open. I'm allowed to. I'm allowed to to go in there. And and. I think, and I've said this before in the podcast, which is if I didn't disclose, would I be sort of enabling other people to feel shame, clients to feel shame about the fact that they have an eating disorder? I also want to say that I'm very specific when I disclose certain things. I don't talk about what weight I got to. I don't talk about what food, what my fear foods were. I don't, I don't talk about the things that have, absolutely 
nothing to do with with helping the client. Yes, we're not in it's not used as a tool to bond with that client. We're not identifying with that client. Yes. Why do you think working with a recovered professional is so effective? My thought is that there is a there is a different there's an experiential knowing, an experiential understanding that that, that can't come from a textbook. Uh, and that's not to say that, I mean, there are psychiatrists and psychologists and therapists out there who don't have the experience and they're incredible at what they do. They're amazing, right? And yet for, for, for myself, when I'm sitting with a client, it's like that ability to kind of go, okay, that's where they are. Mm, I know that's hard. That's a hard place to be. So it engages empathy, and I I think it allows in those times where your your client might be moving through a process that's really confusing and frustrating, that you can it, it allows that empathy, it allows that patience for me, anyways, to be able to acknowledge, okay, that's I I get that, right? That that's an icky place to be, like I get it, right? Yep. Yeah. And two, to understand the the behaviors, to understand how that how that eating disorder brain can present, how powerful that can that can be. Right? Just stop having those thoughts. Right? Just just ignore those thoughts. Just stop having those thoughts. Right? How do you have, when you know, when you've been in that experience, where you've lived that experience, the ability to recognize, holy cow, like, yeah, that's a nasty base there. Yeah. I think that also allows us to understand many voices, the voices of anxiety, the voices of depression, the voices of substances, the voices of, you know, the eating disorder is sort of the umbrella over everything else. Somebody said to me once, like, don't you ever get sick of working with just eating disorders? Don't you want to work with something else? And I was like, what do you think an eating disorder is? I work with anxiety, depression, trauma, assault, you know, relationship issues. I just happen to be a little bit better at dealing with the distractor that they're using, which is the eating disorder. And so I think it allows us to have empathy for a lot of feelings, not just what it feels like to be in a behavior or in that mindset. I know what it feels like to have low self-esteem. I know what it feels like to sit in front of somebody and say, I don't fit in. I don't belong. Nobody likes me. I I know that. By the way, I also want to say most of us know that. I think we get it a little bit deeper though. What do you think is an underserved population? In the, when talking about clients with eating disorders? So I'm from a rural area. And so the things that I see are going to be unique to other areas of Canada. Um, but here it seems that just treatment of eating disorders in general is very challenged. There's not a lot of funding. 
Um, and uh, but one of the the pieces I I see because we do have treatment centers <clears throat> um, about fifty kilometers away in Kelowna in a our city area, and uh, but here. Uh, it, it seems like treatment for, for binge eating disorder is really lacking. And there's, I've had, I've had clients who, you know, kind of searched high and high and wide and uh, expressed like how hard it has been to, to be able to find some kind of service. Well, I do know that, you know, and, and I, I suddenly feel like I'm doing an advertisement for your, for your center, but I know that you run binge eating disorder support groups. And what, what have you noticed that, how do I say this? Let me think about this for a minute. You know, what are you noticing? As I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, hang on, because by the way, this is how I, I think everything through. Um, have you noticed that you've gotten a lot of clients? Let's start with that, that have reached out and said, oh, thank God, because I'm not typically represented. Yeah, that's a challenge because when, so I've done a couple of the BED groups, the binge eating disorder groups, uh, and I can only take so many people in those groups. They're a closed group. And so I wish there were more of me or, you know, that I could kind of bring people in, which I've tried to do. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just, it's hard, right? Um, Resources is a, is a challenge. But what I've noticed is that there is, there's obviously an interest. There is an interest there. um, uh, In between groups, I hear a lot from people who are seeking that support. Um, and so there could be, the numbers are there to do more. Uh, so especially with, um, male population, I have a number of male clients who are struggling with binge eating disorder. And so, and not everybody can afford, of course, to come to private practice. And so offering those groups is a great way to make it more treatment, more accessible, support, more accessible. And so, yeah, if there was, it would be great to be able to do more groups. And in my head, I'm trying to think right now, could I, could I actually do, you know, two groups? Could I stay through those? Or so, so that's something that's in my mind right now. And I, I love group work. I think group work is so powerful and exciting and effective. I, I know. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I know that I can say something to a client and they're like, yeah, yeah. But then if another, if one of their peers says it, they're like, really? Say more about that. And I'm like, what the hell? I just said that. But it's sort of like, like a parent child relationship where a parent could say something and you're like, yeah, yeah. But then when your friend says it, you're like, absolutely. And it's powerful. And I also love when a peer challenges, respectfully challenges another peer. Because first of all, it takes courage for that client to to challenge them. And it sometimes can be so much more effective. Effective seems to be the word that I keep going towards, but I love groups. That's why I run groups. I, I miss running groups. It's one of the reasons why I loved working in treatment centers for so long, right? 
I, I love group work as well. It's just a completely different dynamic. And that peer influence is so powerful to watch. And, and it's a wonderful opportunity, too, for people to be practicing their skills. So if you leave treatment or outside of treatment, you're, you feel kind of shut down or like you're, you know, maybe uh, you don't feel safe having a certain conversation. You get to be in group and start practicing, you know, what it's going to be like to feel that and then to speak that in a room. And, and rarely in, you know, 15 years of counseling have I ever, and I've done a multitude of groups, rarely have I ever had an experience where a peer has been, you know, uh, been disrespectful to another, uh, another person in a group. Yeah, it's, that's another thing that's so powerful is how they support each other. I also, as you can tell, I'm, I'm a big group supporter. I love groups because I often say the way you're presenting here in group is probably a smaller version of how you're presenting out in the world. And I'm noticing that, you know, John, you haven't said anything for the last 45 minutes. Is that how you are in the world? Susie, you keep interrupting and you're not letting anybody feel like they're also part of the conversation. Is that what's happening out in the world? You get to see all these dynamics played out in a smaller version. And then you get to say, how can I help you to work through that? Because I'm noticing it here. Yeah, I've always been a big fan of groups. It's a great, it, it's, it can be a very, um, I don't know if safe is the right word, but it can be this way to help clients see each other in that, you know, social setting and, 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 and to, to get this, you know, this piece mirrored back to them about, oh, maybe that is what I'm doing. Maybe, you know, how is that interfering with, with my life or my relationships? Yeah. I want to go back to something and and I do this all the time. Now it seems to be my new thing, which is I say something important right as we're closing. But I as we're talking, I'm I'm very much an I I visualize a lot of things in my head very often. And as we're talking about groups, I'm picturing myself as I have run thousands of thousands of groups at treatment centers and I want to go back to binge eating disorder. Because as you said, you feel that that's a very underserved population. And I know that I have had a lot of clients who feel ashamed coming in. Because by the way, our culture, unfortunately, has a stereotype of what an eating disorder is. And they feel ashamed coming in saying, I'm not afraid of food. In fact, I can't stop eating food. Or there's such a judgment that people don't even ask them, is it possible that you're struggling from an eating disorder because they don't look a certain way? So they're ashamed to like raise their hand and say, hey, I have binge eating disorder. It's, I can't, I just went back to this like vision of like clients saying, it took a lot for me to get here to treatment. And then guess what? Insurance cuts them a week later because if insurance is going off of like the BMI and, and you know, how are their labs? Well, it seems like they haven't been binging for a week, so they seem to be okay. And so 
again, I feel like I just did a doorknob moment where I'm like, okay, we're pretty much out of time. But <laughs> that's one of the things that, that I thought of is there's accessibility of treatment. There's just a lot of shame attached to saying I'm struggling with this. And I don't know if you have something you want to add to that. Oh, I would, I would say that, yes, uh, that, that happens here as well. And yet we don't have accessibility like larger areas. Um, there are no programs for binge eating disorder here. None. There is, there is, and, and talk of, of starting something um, has been kind of going on for a little while, but there's, there seems to be some issues in getting funding. And so maybe it's, you know, what you're talking about and um, ways that we acknowledge or diagnose. Um, so, uh, and, and maybe it's our perception of, of harm or whatever that might be. So misunderstanding uh, seems to be in the way. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm reflecting back for a moment. And that's why I was like, I feel like I'm advertising you right now by saying you run binge eating disorder groups. Because I do think that that there is a lack of people feeling like it's okay to show up and say, this is what I struggle with. So I think maybe that was the intention behind it. I wanted to make sure at least people in your area know that it's available. Yes, yes. And thank you. The the next group I'll be running is going to be in the fall. And and so, yeah, if people are interested, of course, well, yeah, I'll be doing some advertising around that. And great, great. Well, when when we go, when we end the podcast and you and I are chatting, doing our post-podcast talk, I'd love for you to tell me how you're going to start implementing groups in the time of the pandemic, because I have no idea how to do this. Yes, and that's another piece is what will that look like? So right now I'm considering online. Um, But again, it takes away from that dynamic we were talking about, that peer influence. And so it's, um, yeah, it's a time of creativity for sure. Yeah, how do we mean how do we maintain that access and create hope and Michelle, it has been lovely having you on. We are going to wind up in a moment. Is there anything before I ask my final question? Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to say or anything else that you'd want to share? Not that I can think of. Not that wouldn't take us off into uh, another like half hour show. So <laughs> so I, I guess we'll, we'll also get your schedule out after this episode so we can book you for another episode. So, oh, Michelle, thank you. So as you know, I always ask a question at the end. So if you could be a character in a movie, book, or television show, what genre would you be in? It would either have to be in a, a nature documentary or a comedy. Ah, I say ah, because I love comedies. Okay. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I'm a serial enthusiast. So I, I, I think it would be, have to be something with, with like Jerry Seinfeld or <laughs> so. Yeah. Right. So maybe it could be a comedy in nature. Yeah, that could be. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, so I, I am looking forward to that episode, those episodes when they come out. Michelle, again, thank you very, very much. It has been a pleasure having you on the podcast.
Thank you, Karen. It's been wonderful. It's been a, a wonderful experience. Great. All right, everyone. Well, thank you again for listening to another episode of Recovery Bites, Real Talk with Recovered Professionals. I look forward to speaking with all of you again next week. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. That's a wrap for this week's episode of Recovery Bites, Real Talk with Recovered Professionals. And I thank each and every one of you for tuning in with me. You can view more from today's episode, including guest information and excerpts by visiting www.karenlewisedc.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe to future shows by searching Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. All right, everybody, be well, and thanks for listening to my Bite for the Week.